0: السلام عليكم rahmatullah, الله وبركاته Alhamdulillah, لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه <تصفيق> ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من to الله فلا Who wants to go to the house? Who wants إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا the ورسوله Sallallahu الله alayhi عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد kathira بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه تسليما Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallaita ala Ibrahim wa ala Ibrahima Ibrahim the Hamidum Majid Allahumma barik ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala Ibrahima Ibrahim the kahmidun Majid respected listeners assalamu alaikum wa wa we continue with our series of talks on the holy and blessed (coughs) month of Ramadan, which is only a few weeks away. We've begun this series of talks in the hope of mentally, spiritually and practically preparing ourselves for the month so that we can maximise our benefits therefrom and utilize our time wisely therein. I began last week as well as the week before with a recitation and a brief commentary of some of the verses of Surah Al-Baqarah. Which are actually the first verses, first verses. which deal with the topic of fasting in Ramadan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يا أيها الذين آمنوا كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الصِّيَامُ كَمَا كُتِبَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِن قَبْلِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ. أياماً معدودات فَمَن كَانَ مِنْكُمْ كُم أَو عَلَى سَفَرٍ فَعِدَّةٌ مِنْ أَيَامٍ أُخْرَى وَعَلَى خَيْرًا فَهُوَ خَيْرٌ وَأَنْ تَصُومُ خَيْرٌ لَّكُمْ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ I briefly commented on these two verses, which simply translates as follows. O believers, fasting has been ordained for you as it was ordained for those who came before you. Perhaps you may attain taqwa. A few known days. So whoever of you is ill or on a journey, than the completion from other days. And upon those who are able to fast is a compensation of the feeding of a poor person. And whoever gives voluntarily, then this is better for him. Whoever gives wealth voluntarily, then this is better for him. And that you fast is far better for you, if only you knew. I've commented on most aspects of these two verses. The latter part of the second verse I didn't really touch on. But the second verse, the first verse speaks about fasting being an obligation upon the believers, just as it was an obligation upon other people of previous nations. And the very purpose of fasting is to create daqwa. We fast in the hope of attaining daqwa. These are only for a few fixed days. And I mentioned before that these two verses, although they speak about the obligation of fasting, this obligation is not to do with the month of Ramadan. Rather, the obligation of fasting was first revealed to the believers in relation to three days per month. The three middle days, 13th, 14th and 15th of the lunar lunar month. And for the 10th of Muharram, known as the fast of Ashura. These fasts of Ashura and the middle three days of each lunar month were obligatory upon the believers. And this is what these two verses actually refer to. And in that context... In those early days, when fasting was not obligatory in Ramadan, rather only for three days in each month and the Ashura, Allah still gave a choice. So even those who were able, capable, fit, and strong enough to fast, they had a choice: either they fast or they give some fidyah charity in the way of Allah. As an alternative to fasting, so it was optional, and I've, I've already explained that as well. Then Allah says, Although He has stipulated the feeding of one poor person for one day in lieu of one fast, خير خير whoever gives wealth or more. Voluntarily, in charity Over and above this amount And anything else Then this is far better for him So What this part of the verse tells us That yes, in the early days Allah had stipulated That you need to fast But The obligation of fasting Can be waived by giving charity By feeding a poor person One poor person per day in need of one fast. But if you give more, this is far better for you. Because in Islam, charity is not to be considered a tax. Even zakah is not to be considered a tax. It's to be considered sadaqah. A purifying charity. And although Allah and His Rasul have stipulated a bare minimum, one should try and give over and above. In Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also mentions a verse, لَيْسِ birra wujuhakum It's a long verse, which speaks about virtue. And the summary meaning of the verse is, that virtue, piety, righteousness, is not that you face the East or the West. (inaudible) Righteousness is not that you turn your faces towards the East or the West. This is a reference to ritual prayer. And it's a very beautiful message. Which is that we have a habit or we have a tendency, we have a weakness in us, as human beings, to reduce our religion to mechanical, ritual, repetitive acts of worship. And we think that that is a height of piety. So it doesn't matter how we behave outside, as long or in other aspects of our life, as long as we perform the prayer, as long as we stand and turn towards the east or the west, i.e. Qibla, whichever direction it may be for any individual in any part of the world. And this verse is actually a reference to previous nations too. Because ritual prayer, has, just like fasting, has always been part of every religion. But, as I said, It's part of our weakness as human beings that we reduce virtue and piety and righteousness to the concept of repetitive mechanical ritual acts of worship. So as long as a person prays to Allah, prays to the Creator, worships the Creator, that's considered virtue and piety. Then it doesn't matter how he or she behaves, especially in relation to the creation. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala condemns that and says categorically, it is not virtue that you turn your faces towards the east or the west in ritual, mechanical prayer. Then Allah says, (laughs) وَلَكِنَّ الْبِرَّ من آمَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَالْمَلَائِكَةِ وَالْكِتَابِ وَالنَّبِيِّينَ وَآتَ الْمَالَ عَلَىٰ حُبِّهِ ذَبِ الْقُرُبَىٰ وَالْيَتَامَ وَالْمَسَاكِينَ وَابْنَ السَّبِيلِ وَالسَّائِلِينَ وَفِي الْرِقَابُ وَأَقَانَ الصَّلَاةَ وَآتَ zakah. Rather, pieties of that person who believes in Allah and in the final day, and in the angels, and in the book, and in the prophets. And then Allah says, and this is the part of the verse that I wish to get to, al الْمَالَ عَلَى حُبِّهِ ذَوِي qurbah. And He gives wealth, despite the love of wealth, or in the name of the love of Allah. To whom? To one's relatives, and to the orphans, and to the poor, and to the traveler, and to the beggars, and in the way of freeing slaves. Then Allah says, and he establishes salah and he gives zakah. So Allah has already spoken about spending wealth and giving in the charity. And he's even mentioned categories and recipients of our charity. But then he repeats the word, or he mentions a word, zakah. So is this repetition? No. Remarkably, the word zakah, which comes later, refers to obligatory zakah. But all the charity referred to earlier is optional. So in the Allahu Akbar, according to this verse, it is an act of greater virtue and greater piety that a person gives optional charity, voluntary charity, before and over and above one's obligatory zakah. So Allah mentions obligatory zakah later, but he mentions optional voluntary charity before. And in fact, if you look at the verse, after correct belief in Allah, even before salah, even before zakah, even before fulfilling one's promises, which comes later, Ahdihim بِعَهْدِهِمْ إِذَا عَاهَدُوا وَالصَّابِرِينَ And even before mentioning patience and perseverance in conflict and in adversity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the first thing which he mentions as being an act of virtue before prayer, before patience before obligatory zakah before perseverance before fulfilling one's promises is voluntary charity so in Islam charity is not to be considered as a, a, a tax where one always tries to keep below the threshold remain below the threshold or pay the bare minimum no That's why here Allah says, in the early days, when fasting was obligatory, but the obligation could be waived by simply feeding a poor person, one poor person per day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and whoever gives over and above that, i.e. feeds more people, then this is far better for him. And this is the spirit of Islam. Charity, one should never look at how much one is spending. Give in such a way that the left hand does not know what the right hand has spent. One of the seven people in a hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa illa says, There are seven people whom Allah shall grant a shade on the day when there shall be no shade except His shade. And one of them is, وَرَجُلٌ تَصَدّقَ بِصَدَقَةٍ فَأَخْفَاهَا حَتَّى لَا تَعْلَمَ شِمَالُهُ مَا تُنْفِقُ يَمِينٍ And a man, this is just one of the seven, who shall be given a shade or a place in the shade of Allah on the day when there shall be no shade except His shade. A man who gave in charity تَصَدّقَ بِصَدَقَةٍ فَأَخْفَاهَا And then He concealed the charity. So much so, يمينه, that his left hand does not know what his right hand spends. To give blindly in the way of Allah, without hisab, when a person gives without account, Allah places immense barakah. Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu was measuring the grain in her house. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Do not measure. For if you measure, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will measure against you. So if you give without measure, Allah will reward without measure, Allah will bless without measure. And in fact, you will witness such barakah, such barakah, that there is one scholar Alhamdulillah, he's passed away. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant him Jannah and the highest rank in Jannah. May Allah reward him for his efforts and for his khidmat of deen. I had the good fortune and the opportunity of spending many days with him. And we witnessed his sense of humor, his razor-sharp intelligence his wit, and his piety. Allahu Akbar. And I've heard, when I say many days, I don't mean uh, many, many weeks. In fact, just a few weeks. But in those few weeks, I had an opportunity to spend many days with him. But along with many others. And he was a remarkable individual. And there are so many details that I can share about him with you. But Here, because it's concerning charity and how Allah gives barakah, let me explain to you uh, stories about him that I have heard directly from his students and his fellow scholars. And I also had the opportunity of studying a number of ahadith with uh, this great scholar. And not too long ago, we did Hadith of Hiraql, the Hadith of Heraclius. Along with my other teachers of Bukhari, we had the opportunity of studying the whole hadith of Heraclius with him as well, with his chain of narration. But th- what I relate to you has been verified by many different people. Not one, not two, but groups of people. He never took account of money in his entire life. Never. He narrated from what I know, he inherited A house, as part of his inheritance, and these were his own. That was his only belonging—a whole house. He inherited a whole house. This is the way of the ulama and the true servants of Allah. He inherited a whole house. He spent his life in learning, even whilst he was a teacher in one of the most famous establishments of learning. He would stand in line with the children and with other students to collect his food in a plate. And he would refuse for anyone to serve him. This was in his younger days. He would live in the madrasa. From what I know, he would never take a wage. And he served the madrasa and the deen of Allah, spreading ilm and knowledge Voluntarily, without hes- hesitation, without reservation. And he would just live, eat and sleep in the madrasa. When he got married, the only belonging he had was one house. On the, day of his ma- on the night of his marriage, when he entered the, ha- the room, the chamber, he said to his wife, that he, this he actually related to us himself. He said that we are now husband and wife, and I have no belongings except for this house, and here I give the whole house to you as a gift. As a hadiyah. This is my only belonging. This is all I own. I give it to you as a gift. You do what you want with it. It's now yours. If you allow me to stay, I will stay. If you do not wish me to stay, I can always make my lodgings elsewhere. Allah, he gave away his whole house. To his wife on the first night of marriage. That was his, without without hisa, no account whatsoever. The little that he owned, he gave it away. But his students relate that throughout his life, far from being ever in need, he would give freely. He would spend on students. He would spend on ulama. He'd give gifts Every country where he would visit his own entourage of students told me that wallahi we do not know where he would get the money from. And I haven't heard this you should from from the many years that I've shared my thoughts with you you should realize that I'm not one for jackanories or relating stories about men flying on magic carpets but this I have heard from so many of his students he had no income and yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him immense barakah because he had no hisab and he would give without hisab he'd give without account one scholar told me that the first time I traveled for hajj everyone knew in the madrasah that if you wanted a loan, you go to him. So he said, I went to him, and I said, I need to travel to Hajj, and although it's not obligatory on me, our sheikh and teacher, our grand shaykh and teacher, is traveling, and I would like to go in his company. But I have no money. So, I would like a loan, I can arrange for the payback, inshallah, within one year I will pay you back so he said to him, come tomorrow he related this to me himself, the scholar who's old himself now, very old so he he said the next day I went and this great teacher of ours he gave me a whole bag of money he said, there's your hedge money many, many, almost a year later I went back to him with the repayment and I said that I promised you I would pay you back in one year here's the money he says, come back tomorrow. He came sorry, he said, come back another time. So he came back another time. He said, Here's the money. Come back another time. He said he did this a few times, so I then said to him that look, I am being I am in torture here. Give me a final answer. Are you going to take it or not? Either take it, please, or forgive me. One or the other. So he said, It's a gift to you. And he says, I was just one of many, many students. For the whole Madrasani, which had thousands of students. If you needed a loan, you go to him. And not just a loan for lunch. If you needed a loan for hajj, you go to him. And he had no income. Any money which people would give him. Of course, some may say, well, uh, these mullahs receive a lot of gifts from people. Mullah has received a lot of mullah. So, but any gift he received, students would tell me, if somebody came came and gave him a whole bag of money, he would take it with one hand, immediately he'd turn around to someone, say, here, go and distribute this, among the poor students, amongst the fuqara, amongst the needy. Never would he keep anything. He had no need. He used to sleep in the So he had a simple bed, a simple room, and the only thing he owned was probably the clothes on his body and a few kitabs. A few books. That's just one example. And there are. On Allahu Akbar. It's just one example of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives barakah. One of his students asked him, that, I wish to become like you. How can I do that? And he mentioned three conditions to him. When he heard those three conditions, the student said, this is impossible for us to achieve. But he had already achieved those three conditions. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said to Umm Mu'mineen, A'isha radhiyallahu anha, do not measure. If you measure, Allah will measure against you. And indeed, once she started measuring, it depleted rapidly. But until she never measured, it was barakah and blessing upon blessing. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, whoever gives in charity, then this is far better for him. And charity should be given in such a way in Islam, without limits, without boundary, without... In fact, it was a sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa As we learned, he bought a camel of Jabir ibn Abdullah radiyallahu an and... When he came to collect the money, Allahu Akbar, he said to Bilal ibn Rabah radiyallahu an that here, he said to him here, give him more. Give him more over and above. And he bought a mount, a camel, and then gave it back to him. It was a sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam that when he took, when he was in debt, he was when he was in debt, or he borrowed, or he had, he had debt, he had to pay later. Either way, the Prophet sallallahu voluntarily would give over and above. It was a sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam to actually give over and above. Now, isn't that riba? No, it's not a riba. A riba is where it's conditional. Usury interest is where it's conditional. If a person without any expectation, without any prior agreement, without any condition, voluntarily gives over and above, then whatever is paid as a repayment of the principal loan is a repayment. And whatever is given over and above, sincerely and genuinely, is a hadiya. It's a gift But the Prophet would give. A gift, even to someone who had money and who was actually being repaid money, wealthy enough to be being, to give a loan to uh, receive a repayment. But the Prophet would give extra. If that's the way Rasulullah dealt with those to whom he owed money, that he wouldn't just give the full amount, he'd give over and above. Then what of charity? We shouldn't treat charity as limited amount, as a threshold that we would, we should try to meet as a bare minimum. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, whoever gives more, then this is far better for him. Wa in Allah says, and, and that you fast is far better for you if only you knew. Now this is again in reference to those early days when fasting was obligatory for three days of the month. And on Ashura, on the 10th of Muharram, and even though it was obligatory, the obligation could be waived by giving in charity, by feeding a poor person. But Allah Azza wa Jal says that rather than accept the concession of giving in charity, the fact that you actually fast, this is far better for you if only you knew. So out of the two, fasting is still better. I, in those early days, when you had the option of fasting or giving in charity, Allah says, if you give in charity, try to give more. But even better than giving in charity and giving more in lieu of your fast, even better than that, is that you actually do fast, if only you knew. This is far better for you. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the obligation of fasting in the month of Ramadan. When that was revealed with the next verse, the obligation and the fard of fasting for the three days of each month and of Ashura on the, 10th of Muhar- on the 10th of Muharram, that obligation was removed and those fasts became Sunnah. So the next verse is, Shahru Ramadan الذي أنزل فيه القران, هُدًا لِلنَّاسِ al-Huda الْهُدَى وَالْفُرْقَانِ And I'll continue with the verse, that that month of Ramadan in which the Quran was revealed as a guidance for mankind and as clear proofs of guidance, and as distinction, uh, or as clear proofs of distinction. And then Allah continues with the verse about the obligation of fasting in Ramadan. Inshallah, I'll continue with the commentary after the Maghrib Salah. Bismillah rahman As I was saying before the Salah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, شَهْرَ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي يُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنَ وَهُدِلْ لِلنَّاسِ وَبَيَّنَاتٍ مِّنَ الْهُدَى Furqan. That month of Ramadan in which the Quran was revealed as a guidance for mankind, and as clear proofs of guidance, and of distinction. فَمَنْ شَهِدِ مِنْكُمُ الشَّهْرَ فَالْيَسُمْ So whoever of you finds the month, or is present at the time of the month, فَالْيَسُمْ The lesson fasted. These are the words that make the fasting of Ramadan obligatory in the beginning of the verse Allah Azza wa Jal mentions Ramadan by name this is the only place in the entire Quran where Ramadan is mentioned it's only mentioned once that month of Ramadan in which the Quran was revealed this is something which I would like to spend a few moments on the relationship between Ramadan and the Quran Allah has revealed the Quran in the month of Ramadan. But as someone approached Abdullah ibn Abbas and said to him that the Quran wasn't just revealed in Ramadan, it was revealed and then he mentioned all the other Islamic months. So, what's the meaning of this verse? I've explained this in detail in the tafsir of Surah Al-Qadr, as well as on other occasions, so please refer to that uh, for further details. But in short, the Qur'an was revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the Allah al the protected tablet, to Sama'ud-Dunya, the heaven closest to the earth in preparation for its gradual revelation to Rasulullah. And this single transition of the entire Quran from Al al-mahfuz, the protected tablet, to the lowest heaven, the single transfer, this transition this revelation took place in Laylatul Qadr, and that's what's referred to in Suratul Qadr, as well as in Suratul Dukhan, where Allah says, "Hamim wal Kitab al Mubin, Inna anzalnahu fi laylati Mubarakah." Hamim, by the clear book. Verily, we have revealed it in a blessed night. That single revelation of the Quran in a blessed night is exactly what's referred to in Surah al-Qadr, "Inna anzalnahu fi لَيْلَةِ al-Qadr." Verily, we have revealed it, the Quran, in the night of Qadr. The, both the beginning verses, the beginning verses of both these two surahs, as well refer to the single revelation and the transition of the Quran from the protected tablet to the lowest heaven. In preparation for its gradual revelation to Rasulullah. And that's also what's referred to here, where Allah says Shahru Ramadan al-Ladi unzilafihil Qur'an, that month of Ramadan in which the Quran was revealed. But this verse also speaks about something else. Before I continue, I just like to mention a simple question is that the Qur'an refers to many contemporary events. At the time of the Prophet sallallahu And it refers to some names and details. So, and in fact it refers to other books, وَلَقَدْ كَتَبْنَا فِي الزَّبُورِ مِنْ بَعْدِ أَنَّ الْأَرْضَ يَرثُهَا عِبَادِيَ الصَّالِحُونَ That we have recorded in the Zabur, i.e. in the Psalms of Dawood alayhi that the meek shall inherit the earth that meaning my pious servants they are the ones who shall inherit the earth so there are references to other books to places to times to actual incidents past con- contemporary present and future so leaving aside the future ones if the quran existed in its entirety how can they refer how can it refer to these individual people places incidents Again, I've explained this in detail in the tafsir of Surah Al-Qadr, but a simple short answer. We speak about past, present and future, because that's time. But time and space are constants and features of this universe, which is the creation of Allah. And now, the dominant, well, uh, one of the theories, one of the more favorable theories is not of a single universe, but multiverses, many, many universes. And these multiverses, these other universes, they do not necessarily have the same features or. Even the same laws and constants of this universe. So time and space may not necessarily be constants of that universe. And all of them are ultimately the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What's time in respect of Allah when time is his own creation? So there is no meaning of past, future, present. When it comes to Allah azza wa When he refers to the past and the present and the future or he even refers to time in respect of himself, then that's to facilitate our understanding of Allah and what we need to understand of Allah and know of Allah. Otherwise, time, space, this universe, all the universes, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, all praise belongs to Allah, the Lord of the worlds. So, past, present, future has no... Relevance it's not a restricting or constraining factor for Allah. Azza wa Whatever we know about time in respect of Allah is to facilitate our understanding. But going back to the verse, one of the meaning of the Quran being revealed in the month of Ramadan, apart from this reference of Laylatul Qadr, is that from the lowest heaven. <coughs> the Qur'anic revelation to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa also started in the month of Ramadan. So that is also another reference. Just as many of the revelations to the Prophets alayhim were also in the month of Ramadan. It's a blessed time. Ramadan is a unique time of the year. It's very different. It's like a portal to the heavens which is only opened in Ramadan. That was the time when Allah revealed not just the Qur'an to Rasulullah but the other books to his messengers and prophets. That is the time when the doors of Jahannam are shut, and the doors of Jannah are opened. And in one narration of Sahih Muslim, the doors of Rahmah, mercy, are thrown out. That is a time when there is an increased presence of angels. That is a time when Allah listens to and accepts the Quran. In one hadith related by Imam Tabarani, rahmatullahi alayhi rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, the month of Ramadan has come to you. A month of blessing, in which Allah sends down mercy, sheds and forgives sins, and answers prayer. So Ramadan is, a t- it's, like I said, it's a porthole. It's a channel of communication between the creation and Allah, the creator. It's the month in which Allah revealed not just the Qur'an but other books. It's the month in which there was increased communication between the angels and the messengers, alayhumus We learn from a hadith of Abdullah ibn Abba Anhuma. We were speaking of charity earlier on. Abdullah ibn Abba s.a.w. says that the Prophet was the most charitable of all people. But he was his most charitable in the month of Ramadan. Why? And he explains. Because he would meet Jibreel a.s. Hadith of Bukhari and others. Because he would meet Jibreel salam. And meeting Jibreel Alayhi, what would he do? What would the Prophet وسلم, do? He would meet him each night, Qur'an, and he would revise the Quran with him, meaning as much of the Quran as had been revealed till then. Jibreel Alayhi would recite to the Prophet وسلم, and he would listen and then he would recite to Jibreel Alayhi and he would listen. In Ramadan, all over the world, we have students who have memorized the Qur'an partially or entirely and normally they pair up especially after Asr Salah throughout the world and they then read to one another so one of them reads and the other listens reads by heart and the other one then reads and the first one listens they both read to one another what they have memorized this sunnah goes back all the way to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi and Jibreel alayhi So when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi would meet Jibril alayhi and they would both revise the Quran, this enlightened, inspired, and overjoyed the Messenger sallallahu alayhi so much that. Abdullah ibn Abbas says, he was already the most charitable of the whole of mankind. But after meeting Jibreel salam, it was as though his charity, he was like the free wind in charity. After meeting with Jibreel salam, he would spend like the free blowing wind. Allahu Akbar. So, Ramadan is a unique time and opportunity. Increased communication between the creator and the creation. Angels and human beings. The presence of the angels. The opening of the doors of mercy. The locking of the shayatun. Slamming shut the doors of Jahannam. Flinging open the doors of mercy and Jannah. All of this increased reward. The acceptance of dua, the forgiveness of sins. It's a unique time. And that a lot of this is to do with the fact that the Qur'an was revealed in this month. Ramadan and the Qur'an have a very unique relationship. In fact, one could argue and one could understand it in this way, that what makes Ramadan great is the revelation of the Qur'an therein. That's what makes Ramadan great. They are both suited to one another. The greatness of the Qur'an along with the greatness of the month of Ramadan. And therefore, Ramadan for us shouldn't just be about fasting. It should also be about the Holy Qur'an. And in one hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, Prophet says, on the day of reckoning, both the fast." And the Qur'an will intercede on behalf of the fasting person and the reciter. And the fast will say, O Allah, O my Lord, I prevented him from his food and drink. فشفعني فيه, so accept my intercession on his behalf. Then the Qur'an will say, O my Lord, I prevented him at night from his rest and his sleep. فَشَفِعْنِي فِيهِ Therefore accept my intercession on his behalf. The Prophet wasallam says, فَيَشَفَعَانُ Allah will accept the intercession of the fast and the Holy Qur'an on behalf of that individual. So the idea is, we fast during the day and we spend the night in the tilawah of the Qur'an. And that was always a sunnah of the Prophet wasallam and the sahaba رضي الله عنهم. And the amount of Qur'an they would recite, Allahu Akbar. It's related that Imam Abu Hanifah, rahimahullah, would recite 60 Qur'ans in the month of Ramadan. 30 during the day, 30 during the night. Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi alayhi, along with his travelling, along with his work on hadith, And even Imam Abu Hanifa, along with his gatherings of knowledge, and his teaching and lecturing on fiqh, and his majalis, and his other duties, along with all of that, he would complete 60 Qur'ans, 30 during the day, 30 during the night. Imam Bukhari, along with his traveling, his work on hadith, his teaching, He would recite 40 Qur'ans, one during the whole day, and 10 parts out of 30, meaning one third, at night. That means by the end of Ramadan, he had completed 30 Qur'ans during the day, and 10 Qur'ans during the night. Now, some people find this surprising. They say, look, how is it possible? It's to do with barakah in time. Is to do with barakah in time. We don't understand the concept of barakah in money. How are we going to understand the concept of blessing and barakah in time? I was speaking about time earlier. Time and space are constants of this universe. And we know that time is relative. Einstein's general theory of relativity is that time is relative. Time can actually shrink and expand according to where you are in the universe relative to what force in the universe. And as we travel slower or faster, further or shorter, time, we, we then end up with two different, actually separate measurements of time. So time is relative. Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala can put barakah in the time of those whom he wishes. And time will shrink and expand. In fact, it's a hadith again related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hamdul in his Musnad. Prophet is prophesizing the time closer to the day of reckoning. And he says, time will shrink. So much so that a year will become like a month, a month will become like a Jumu'ah, meaning a Jumu'ah referring to one week. A week, a Jumu'ah will become like one day, a day will become like an hour, and an hour will be a flash. In the general meaning of the Hadith. And we witness that now. One great scholar writing of just the past century. We're not going back 13 centuries. The past century. Speaking about his family in northern India. In the village. He wrote. That alhamdulillah. I am pleased to say. That Allah. And I'm paraphrasing what he said. I am pleased to say. That Allah has enabled members of my family such. That the women folk and the ladies of my household. along with their daily chores and their household work. And remember, we're talking about village life in the early part of the last century. Where, to get water, there was no running water. You would have to go to the well or the pond and draw water by pumping it on a daily basis, early in the morning, and bring back water in huge jars. And then, these jars would be deposited outside the homes. And from there, they would take water for washing, for cleaning, for bathing, for drinking, for cooking. To wash clothes, there were no machines available. And you wouldn't have the ability to wash in the house. And forget the early part of the last century. I speak of only 20 years ago, when I went back to my own village back home. And there, family, the family members of our household, to wash clothes, they would have to gather the clothes, trek a fair distance to the edge of the p- village where there was a pool, a pond, and there on rocks they would beat the clothes and wash them in that manner. Allahu Akbar. So, there were no modern facilities available, no appliances. Nothing. And yet, so cooking was a chore, it was a difficulty. Getting water, sufficient water, was a task in itself. Washing clothes was a task. So this scholar writes that along with all the household duties and the chores, along with the cooking, the cleaning, the washing, and the preparing, along with all of that, along with the fast, just during the day, Ladies of my household, in the month of Ramadan, along with all of this, were still able to complete individually 15 to 20 parts of the whole Qur'an, out of 30. So, it's a question of time and barakah. As we, the more appliances, the more facilities we get, the less barakah there is in our time. Right now we've got everything, yet how much time is there? Everyone's rushing, rushing, rushing. And panicking. And moaning and complaining and arguing. Subhanallah. Ever heard of road rage when people were riding donkeys and camels? (laughs) Ever heard of road rage? Now we've got the ability to travel fast. And yet forget, you, you will discover road rage in people going to and from the masjid. And even in mothers dropping their children off to kuttab, maktab, and Madrasah. Such impatient, we are impatient because there's no barakah in our time. There really isn't. And Allahu Akbar, these people of the past, they were able to, like I said, Relativity. We all, if someone says, well, we don't accept that, fine. We, we don't have evidence, i.e. physical evidence, of someone reciting 60 juz, sorry, 60 Qur'ans in Ramadan from the earlier centuries. That's just one example. We're, what about the physical proof that we do have of their time? The books that they left behind. Ibn Jaree al Tabari rahmatullahiale. He was a scholar who died in three ten Hijri, three hundred and ten years after the Hijrah. Ibn Jare al Tabari, most of his works are lost. He has a tafsir of the Holy Quran, which is huge. He also has another book which is incomplete, it's unavailable except for parts of it, تَهْذِيبُ الْأَعْثَارِ in on hadith, but most of it is lost. He has a book on the history of nations and kings, تَارِيخُ الْأُمَمِ Muluk, which is multi-volume. The State University of New York, they produced an English translation of Imam Tabari's, uh, History of Nations and Kings, Emperors and their English translation is a summary translation it's a condensed summary translation and they had a whole team of academics and professors working on it you will find that most it's, it's been published in 40 volumes and that's a condensed summary translation And it's taken them many, many years, many years to do it. And each volume is more or less covered by one or two professors or academics and translators. So they've divided the whole work. And it's taken them so many years. And that's just, it's a summary condensed translation. That's just one of the many, many works of Ibn al-Jalil al-Tabari. And in those days, they never had word processors. No computers. They wrote with Pens, which they had to sharpen, every couple of minutes even, or every hour. And they wrote in candlelight and during the day. How they were able to write so much, wallahi, that we wouldn't be able to read now. A team of people cannot read in a lifetime what they actually wrote individually in just a few years. Imam Jalaluddin al-Suyuti, a scholar who died in 911 Hijri. He was from Cairo. Jalaluddin al-Suyuti. You've probably heard of Tafsir of Jalalain. The Tafsir of Jalalain is a very brief, condensed commentary of the Holy Qur'an. In many places, He uses just one word to comment on a verse, or on one word. One word, one word. Or sometimes one word on the whole verse. And almost, the words of the commentary are almost the same as the words of the Quran. Meaning, half-half. So it's not a verbose commentary. It's a very succinct commentary. And... To be able to condense, to abridge, is an art in itself. True? Imagine producing a commentary which matches the words of the Qur'an. So the words of the commentary are almost the same as the actual words of the Qur'an. Not not that much more. That's a remarkable feat. Imam Jalaluddin Al-Suyuti's teacher, Imam Jalaluddin Al-Mahalli, he produced... The first commentary. His name was Jalal as well. Jalaluddin. And what he did is that he produced the commentary. And he began. I know it sounds strange. But rather counterintuitively. He began from Surah al-kahf From half of the Quran till the end. And Allahu Akbar, when he completed half of the book, he passed away. So his student, Jalaluddin As-Suyuti, he decided to complete his teacher's work. So he began from the beginning till Surah Al-Kahf. He wanted to do half. And he said, I will try to do it as close to my teacher's work as possible. And he did it. Following the same pattern, same same pattern, same rulings meaning uh, rule in the sense that the same methodology, the same abridgment, the same condensing. And he completed fifteen the commentary of fifteen Jas in that remarkable, refined, condensed manner of abridgment. You know how long it took him? 40 days he completed the half, half of the commentary of the Quran in 40 days in that manner how many of us can read the same commentary in 40 days and he actually did it in 40 days there were countless works written by ulama in prison entire commentary from beginning till end. One scholar was imprisoned in a well. In a well. He actually wrote. Many volumes of a book of fiqh. Of Islamic laws. In the well. Whilst being imprisoned. A dry well. He was just dumped at the bottom. With a few belongings. So. There was barakah in that time Imam Bukhari rahmatullah would complete 40 completions Of the Quran in Ramadan And Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah, Was known to have completed 60 it, it, one on, This is a physical evidence One only has to look at the physical evidence Of books And the works bequeathed by the ulama And their Intellectual ability was truly remarkable. If this is a physical evidence that we have, if those same ulama we know about them, that they also recited the Qur'an, 30 completions of the Qur'an, then it's not something that we can doubt. Oh, well, people can doubt if they wish, but it's not something who... Oh, if we take a holistic look, at their lives and their achievements and the evidence that we have and it strongly suggests that they were able to achieve that. Also, I mentioned earlier on, and I'd just like to clarify something, I didn't wish to be offensive in any way when I said uh, that I'm not known for sharing oris or relating stories about people flying on magic carpets. I did not wish to demean or belittle any such narrative. It's, it was just my humorous way of uh, explaining something, otherwise, as the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the aqidah of the Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah is that the karamatul awliya' hukm. The karamat of the awliya', the miracles of the awliya', are true. For the miracles of the saints and the beloved of Allah in this ummah are a reflection of. Rasulullah himself. So when it comes to the ulama completing many completions of the Quran, it's it's entirely understandable. It's it's a question of where you draw your energy from. The truth is they live in a different world, we live in a different world. I have said to you before. They live in a different world, we live in a different world. If when if, if the same ulama were to learn of our lifestyle, they wouldn't be able to believe of half. Of, they wouldn't be able to believe half things. And when we learn of their lifestyle, we can't believe it either. Ulama who are enabled, as I said last week, the love of the Quran was such that one great scholar of the past century the early part of the past century, in fact early even, he was unable, he was so old and so ill and weak in his late age that he was unable to walk 20 paces to the bathroom without stopping, without leaning against the wall, and without shuffling along. Yet that same person, in the same evening, at night, he would stand without any support for up to three hours loudly reciting the Qur'an of the Hajj Salah. There are countless stories of ulama. One again, one of his students, one of his students was traveling for Hajj or umrah or most likely Hajj, on ship. And this was during the month of Ramadan, they were still tr- making their way to The Hijaz in preparation for Hajj. So, whilst they were traveling, it was Ramadan, they were fasting during the day, but the same scholar with his students, they say of him that he was unable to stand on the ship. Remember we were talking about some time ago. He was unable to stand properly without support because he would feel seasick. So even to get up and walk a few paces, he would find it difficult He'd feel dizzy and seasick. But when it came to salah, whether it was fard salah, he would insist on standing up. He was able to pray salah standing up. And even more remarkable, at night, he also would stand for up to two and a half hours in taraweeh salah and Tahajjud on the boat without any difficulty loudly reciting the Qur'an or listening to it. It's a question of what a person loves and where they draw their strength and inspiration from. Those who love the Qur'an, love the kalam of Allah, love the speech of Allah, they are affected just as the Prophet was affected by meeting Jibreel salam in Ramadan. And others, we may open the Qur'an and think, what's this? The Qur'an has a remarkable effect. It may not be the most published book in the world. It may not even be the book which is most translated. But there is one record that the Qur'an has always held, holds, and will never be surpassed. Which is, it is the most recited book in the world. The most read book in the world. Without exception. Peerless, without peer, without parallel. Day in, how many of us recite by heart? Children memorize the entire Qur'an. When it comes to Ramadan, it's like the humming of bees. The masjid is like a beehive. The factories, homes, industrial units, roundabouts are like beehives, where people gather and there's a buzzing. The buzzing and the humming is the tilawah of the Qur'an, the recitation of the Qur'an. Every nook and cranny, every corner. As I said, I once travelled to a Muslim country. And there, we were just sitting in the car, and we approached a roundabout. So, the the people who were with me in the car, they said, do you see that roundabout? I said, yes. It's a standard roundabout. Very large, extremely large roundabout. Standard roundabout. What's so remarkable about that? I said, yeah, it doesn't look remarkable, but... Huge roundabout with grass in in the middle. It's like an island. They said, in Ramadan, there's a whole jama'ah of taraweeh salah with one completion of the Qur'an in that roundabout. And there's cars whizzing, busy traffic. It's like Frog's Island. All the people praying taraweeh have to play frog in order to get to the island. And said, on that roundabout, there's a taraweeh jama'ah a jama'ah of taraweeh prayer with one completion of the Qur'an. Even in the middle of the roundabout. Everywhere you go, people gather, recite, pray, listen. This is the beauty and the barakah of the Qur'an. SubhanAllah, even now, old people, in the month of Ramadan, even here, old people, they fast all day long, they rush home, do iftar, rush back to the masjid, And they are able to stand for 90 minutes, two hours. Of course, here the Tarawee, most places, Tarawee is very quick. It's measured by the speed. So people normally work out where it's the fastest. And as children, we used to dart from one area to the other to see who's the fastest. All... We, in some cases, we didn't know what they were saying. All we would hear was "Ya'lamun ta'lamun Ya'lamun ta'lamun," and then Allahu Akbar. So, but even then, whether it's one hour, forty-five minutes, one hour, thirty minutes, it's remarkable. People, without understanding a single word, they are able to stand for so long in devotion. That's the power and the influence of the Quran. If the Quran can have such an effect on animals. Like in the hadith of Usayyid ibn Hudayr عنه, who was reciting the Qur'an with his baby close by on the roof of his house. And there was a horse there. And in some narrations it was a roof, in some narrations it was a courtyard. But it was one of those where it was an open area. And you know the full story, I've related it many times. The next morning he went to Rasulullah And the Prophet told him, That the lights that you saw, they were the angels who had descended from the heavens to listen to your tilawah of the Qur'an. And the prancing and the dancing and the excitement of your horse was because of the result of seeing the angels and the tilawah of the Qur'an. So if the recitation of the Qur'an can have such an effect on animals, then what of human beings? All we need to do is open up our hearts and minds to the Qur'an, and it will work wonders. مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ ما هو ورحمة للمؤمنين ولا يزيد الظالمين إلا And we, rev- we do reveal of the Qur'an that which is a cure and a mercy for the believers. And it does not increase the sinful ones except in loss. The Qur'an has a positive and negative effect. It has a positive effect on those who are pious. And it actually has a negative effect on those who are not pious. Because it's a force. And it will work its force. But if one is not receptive, one is not ready, if one is a zalim, as Allah says in this verse, then the same Qur'an will only increase that person in suffering and in loss and as Umar ibn khattab radiyallahu anhu would say this Qur'an through it Allah elevates some and debases others Ramadan is a month of the Qur'an and it's not just about recitation, it's about so much more we end here let us pray and prepare for the coming month of Ramadan that inshaAllah we make an intention to recite as much of the Qur'an as possible to increase our tilawah. And to strengthen our bond with the Qur'an in terms of recitation and understanding. And most importantly, to act on it. I pray that Allah Azza wa enables us to understand. Inshallah, I will continue with the commentary of the verses as well as the hadith in the next two-three weeks uh, before the arrival of Ramadan.